Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Oh, Scott's just calling me. I'll just call you right back. Later, Scott. <laughs> yeah. I love that you're screening Scott Galloway for me. It's on. From New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is Cuomo with Kara Swisher. Just kidding. This is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. And I'm Naima Raza. I entered this podcast as a sidekick on Monday, but Kara, I am already plotting a hostile takeover <laughs> to be Top Gun. So watch out, Maverick. Yeah, we have to move along from Top Gun. We have to have other sidekicks. Like This is your way of making sure I'm not branded on the internet as Goose. That's correct. So you want to keep me moving. <laughs> you want to keep me I want to keep you moving. Yeah, I'm keeping you. No, I'm not keeping you. I'm trying to rise you up. So, Carol, we're going to get into newsmakers we're watching this week. So we have two of them. You want to share? Yeah. Senator Mitch McConnell and new Italian PM Giorgia Maloney, as I've called her, Mussolini. Yes, the likely new prime minister or anticipated new prime minister. Yeah, it takes 16 years for the Italian elections to be counted. But go ahead. <laughs> there you go. Well, it's more a parliamentary system. Um, all right. Let's just jump into our first newsmaker, which is Mitch McConnell. Yep. He's backed this bipartisan bill that, quote, overhauls how Congress counts electoral votes. That's how it's being reported. I mean, it tries to address many of the things that occurred on January 6th, like what the vice president's role is in certifying election results, kind of what the bar is for election objections, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So, Carol, what do you what do you think of this bill? You know, look, Mitch McConnell's one of the most successful operators of the dark arts in Washington for years. And I think he, in this case, he has decided to back Liz Cheney, really. I think that's pretty much it. This is a Liz Cheney push bill. I think this is, I forget who was, who was in the Senate. It's Joe Manchin and Susan Collins in the Senate. But it was inspired by uh, Liz Cheney and Zoe Lofgren's House bill, though— That's correct. Uh, Mitch McConnell has said that Liz Cheney's bill was a non-starter. Right? They disagree over how many um, members of the chambers are required to object to right. hold up the vote. And currently, like, it's one in each house, which means you just need Josh Hawley and Marjorie Taylor Greene to hold back the system. Right. In the House bill, they've asked for a third of each chamber. And in the Senate bill, it's just a fifth. They'll work that out. That's just that's just technicalities, that's and they'll figure it out. That's what he's doing, and he's doing a lot of stuff. Like a lot of people felt that he should have gone further. He spends a lot of time insulting Trump behind the scenes, as they often do, whether it's whether it's Ron DeSantis or Mitch McConnell, and then never say it in public. McConnell goes from giving Trump this kind of bear hug in the first impeachment trial to after January sixth saying Trump did something bad, really, really bad. Yeah. He seemed generally yeah. shaken. No, they all were saying that, but he that didn't at the vote time. to convict Trump in the second impeachment. Do you think he's stepping up though? Do you think it's significant? significant change? No. All he wants is power for the Republican Party to do whatever they want. I mean, I'm not a fan, but nonetheless, he should do this. It's the very least. It's the bottom rung of the ladder of decency. It's curious that he's emerged as the sensible wing of the GOP in the forthcoming election. Like, first Shows how far Trump. the Overton window has moved. You know who's not a fan mm -hmm. of the bill is Ted Cruz, but he is okay. a fan of someone else. Do you know who that is? No. It's our next newsmaker, Kara. Okay. <laughs> Mussolini. 
<laughs> Georgia Melanie. So you've called her Musselina. Why do you call her that? I pay attention to the words coming out of people's mouth and how they use them. And so, you know, I paid a lot of attention when Trump kept talking about immigration. Mm. And I had a big back and forth with tech people who said he was just pontificating. I said, no, he's not. He means it. And so I just pay a lot of attention to the things she's saying and the things they're using to try to scare. And that she used a word, financial speculators, which is a, which is a term that Mussolini was using for Jewish bankers, I think. Mm-hmm back in World War II. And I just found that uncomfortable. The first thing to come out of her mouth was something that was just terrible. You know, I, I love women being elected, but it doesn't mean you have to support every woman who's been elected. That was being used by a lot of, oh, she's the first one. I'm like, I don't care. She's not someone I agree with. And she uses terms like financial speculators like that, uh, which everyone knows what she's doing. So so one thing I think is really interesting in Maloney is that it's a conservative woman that wins. And I, I actually wonder if that'll be a lesson for the United States, Kara. Like if we will see Nikki Haley or Liz Cheney be the first female president in the United States hmm. versus a liberal. I, I, I kind of wonder about that. I think no, I think that's the case. I think that's the case. I've always thought it was going to be a conservative woman first, just like in, in England that was the case with Margaret Thatcher and now Liz Truss. Yeah. I think that's that's the way it's going to be. We'll see what happens. It's like it's like fighting wars. It's easier for Democrats to do it than Republicans because Democrats feel like, oh, well, you must have a point if you're going to you know, go against your values and run for war. Yeah. I don't think the Italians, by the way, are going to let her get away with much. They're much more. They're not going to let her repeal abortion. Three hours until they start complaining about her. All right. Now we're going to play a little game before we get on to our interview. So it's called Despicable and Delightful. It's super simple. You just have to tell me something that's delighting you and something you find despicable. Um, you know, I wrote a long tweet about this. Um, people who trashed their former city after moving to Florida for lower tax, essentially for lower taxes. And this time it was a, a this guy who made a big splash for himself, I guess, um, writing about, you know, how bad the parents of Brearley were over a bunch of whatever woke, whatever they wanted to call it, um, which comes as a surprise to nobody of these rich schools. And I get it. It's fine. Whatever. But he sort of made a little grievance industry out of it, like a lot of people do. So I, he wrote another thing about leaving uh, New York for Florida and like had to do the whole, you know, hand wringing about how terrible we love New York, but blah, blah, blah. And it's just, I find it a really interesting trend because a lot of tech people did this. Keith Boy, Shervin. Yes, a lot of them. And mm-hmm. Keith in particular has to constantly be you know, trashing San Francisco. And I know he goes back to visit. I've heard he was there recently. But it's really quite something to like just you move somewhere and you have to trash your previous thing. And I compared it to someone's talking about their exes almost continually in front of their new partner. Well, they still love the ex, right? That's really what's happening. They love when the that ex. Happens, they just, they, love, they the love to hate the ex. They love to hate the ex. It's exhausting. And like, just leave, just go. And we will enjoy our 2 a.m. hot bagels and our lovely Central Park. And somehow we'll survive the terrible situation in New York. Well, that's a delightful send off. What's delighting you, Kara? Oh, you're going to think it's weird, but I liked the movie Hocus Pocus a million years ago. And it was just, it was got terrible reviews. I have it was to say, I've never Midler. seen this film. Sarah Jessica Parker and Kathy, uh, Kathy, Jimmy. And I love it. It's so terrible, but they have a new one. I don't know how this happened. Um, and it, the trailer is very funny and they're back and the, the they're witches. It's very, they're witches. Oh, forget it. I'm not going to talk about this with you. <laughs> not, it's wonderful. It's like the craft with Nev Campbell for my generation. I have one that's it, despicable and delightful all at the same time. And I also must say, I'm not 100% sure it's true. Uh, the chess scandal of the last couple of weeks. I read about it also in our friend Brooke Hammerling's Cheating, right? Pop right. Culture Mondays newsletter. Yeah, it was a young chess whiz, Hans Niemann, mm-hmm. who apparently had some vibrating, um, how can I say this in a classy way? Vibrating. He had a vibrator. 
vibrating anal beads, which I was going to call vibrating insert in his rectum to alert him. (laughs) Is that better or worse? Uh, No. Okay. All right. Um, To help him, yeah, cheat and get information. Anyways, I don't know if it's true, but it feels kind of disgusting. Despicable. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Cheating is despicable. But if you're going to cheat and you use anal beads, it is delightful. All right. When we come back, this will be a very natural segue to Hillary Rodham Clinton. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry, Secretary Clinton. Sorry, Secretary Clinton. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what could otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. All right, Kara, let's dive into today's interview. Who you you did live you did this interview live last week in mm-hmm. Austin, Texas. Yes, at the Texas Tribune Festival, which was great. They had amazing yeah. people there. And I got to interview Hillary Clinton for the hundredth time, I think. Texas is sending their migrants to New York City and to yeah. East Coast, and we're sending our Kara Swisher to Texas. Yes, yes. It's it is my fifth interview. Uh I've done a lot of interviews with Hillary Clinton. What have you your first one was when? I think it was in twenty fifteen. Um uh, either before she, before she ran, where I got her mm. to talk about having multiple phones, which later came to haunt her. Um, and then I interviewed her after she lost, uh-huh. and she sort of predicted a lot of stuff that, that happened in the Trump administration. Yeah. You've done, I'm, I'm just looking here, 2017, 2018, 2020. So I, it's just very, uh, almost an annual meetup for you. Yeah, she's an interesting figure. I think she's one of the things that I I think people don't get and some people have said it who cover her is she's much more interesting, you know, mm. privately. And I've often thought if people could experience her privately, she there's some glitch that happens with a lot of people with her publicly. Um she's really quite salty and um very honest and also honest about herself because there's a lot of flaws there, obviously. Um, and so she's a much more interesting people. And I think I tend to bring that out in her, it, that that part mm-hmm. of her. But for you even, do you notice a difference in her in private and then the moment she steps on stage, like going from backstage to on no, stage No, it's with moving her? closer and closer. I thought this interview was exactly that. Like it's starting to move closer and closer. She certainly defends herself on some, some of the indispensable stuff, like having that server. Um, but she's going to always be... Uh, a figure of hatred for the right. They've made her into this. Um, she talked many years ago about a vast right-wing conspiracy. You know, I think it's a little right-wing conspiracy that really did tar her for it did history. Her in. I mean, I, I feel like her. I would be... I would Not be. the only reason. She did herself in in certain ways, too. She did. She did uh, do you think she's gotten looser since she lost the election and she's become... Yeah, she's run out of, as, as I like to say, she's run out of fucks. She yeah. really has. She really has truly run out of fucks. In 2018, there was a moment in your interview with her where I thought she was going to run for office again. And you're like, do you, mm-hmm. would you want to run for president? And she took a minute. 
Yes. And she took a minute. And then that I was on purpose. She, she's such a political animal. And then she said absolutely. something like, I would like to be president, but I wouldn't like to run again. <laughs> ah, yes. Appointed president. I don't sounds, think she meant sounds it Trumpy to me. Um, but in this case, you know, I asked her again. All right. So what was your big question for her going in? Her relevance. To the party think, today? Uh, or? To everything. She's, she's definitely... Um, a lightning rod, and I want to, uh, you know, it con- continues to be, yeah. continues to be. Well, before you went in, I pestered you a lot to ask her about the emails, the emails, because a lot of people are making this kind of analogy between what's happening with Trump equalization. Yeah, they're right. they're trying to equalize what happened with Trump and the National Archives, these papers he's held mm-hmm. hostage in Mar-a-Lago for a while, or he had um, to to her in the emails. And I I pushed you and was texting you I late did. at night yeah. because yep. it's very important to be asked the questions and to answer them. So let's hear how you did. I I tried to. I tried to keep up with it because I do think she has to be held accountable just the way Donald Trump did. I don't think they're equalized, but she she had some answers. All right, let's listen. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Without further ado, my guest today needs no introduction. I like to call her that housewife from Chappaqua who lives rent-free in the head of a Florida retiree. Um, <laughs> That's how I like to refer to her. Without further ado, Secretary Hillary Clinton. Thank you, my dear. All right. There you go. What do you think about that? I love Austin. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Love Austin. Yeah. Came here, I know I hate to say this, came here for the first time 50 years ago. Uh Uh-huh. It looked a little different back then. Yeah, okay. All right, well, let's get to it. Um, We have to start with Donald Trump. We just do. Um, Sorry. We're going to talk about the midterms. We're going to talk about your thoughts on Putin and Ukraine. But Donald Trump feels like he should rise to the surface immediately, uh, like styrofoam. Anyway, so orange styrofoam. You've made a number of predictions about him, including in lots of interviews with me right after the election. You made a bunch of them. I want to run through a bit of a lightning round. You said in 2016 that he'd be Putin's puppet. You said that he'd avoid paying taxes, fine, obvious, that he'd take the courts and overturn Roe versus Wade, and that he would claim that the election was rigged if he lost in 2020. That's pretty accurate. How do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I did say all that. And um, I can't say that I feel any satisfaction for having predicted it because I think it turned out to be even worse than I knew at the time. Um, So now we're in this big fight for our democracy and the rule of law, and uh, he is still um, out there making all kinds of dangerous statements, so it's not over yet. All right, let's make some predictions now. Will he run in 2024? He will run if it's at all possible for him to run. Meaning? Meaning that he will run because of his ego and narcissism that will just absolutely drive him to run, and because he will also have the belief that the only way he can escape legal accountability, both civil and criminal, is to be elected president again. All right. Will he win? I don't think so. But who would have thought he would get more votes the second time after people actually saw what he did? That was uh, an unfortunate uh, wake-up call, too. Why I don't think so? Is that I don't hope so? Or I no, don't? no, I don't, I don't think so at the end, except, and, because here's the big caveat. You have a concerted effort by 
Republicans in power in states like this one and so many others to make sure that they will never lose the Electoral College again. You know, I won by 3 million votes. Biden won by more than 7 million. But if you look at the Electoral College, I lost by about 70,000 votes. So literally 35, 36, 37 going a different way in three states, I would have won. Biden only won by about 100,000 votes in the Electoral College. Part of the fury of Trump and his Republican allies was because they thought they had avoided that happening. They don't care about the popular vote. They don't care about majority uh, rule or will. They only care about manipulating the outcomes in states like Georgia, like Arizona, like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, so that they now don't control the states that they did when I lost the Electoral College, but they do control some of the states that Biden won by really narrow margins. So suppressing the vote, purging voters, and this crazy idea that state legislatures should be able to uh, pick electors. So that's why I say, I do not think he can ever win the popular vote. Mm -hmm. And I do not think that he could actually legitimately win the electoral college, but I believe that he and his allies will do everything possible to try to upend that. All right. Will he face charges for January 6th? Well, I don't know because- You're a lawyer. I am a lawyer, recovering lawyer. Um, And uh, I think that he's facing a lot of really serious issues. January 6th may be harder to prove than maybe some of the charges that could come out of the uh, material found at Mm Mar-a-Lago, that could come out of the civil suit filed by the Attorney General of New York about his financial um, doings. Uh, So I, I think there are so many cases being pursued right now that concern him and his business. Uh, that I don't know what will end up being civil uh, penalties or criminal charges. But unlike him, I'm not going to predict it. And I'm certainly not going to call for it because I still believe in the rule of law. And I think you should follow facts and evidence uh, as opposed to demagoguery. All right, let's talk about the documents. Um, On a recent Fox News interview, an unusual one with Sean Hannity, that ace reporter who I so, so admire for his skills of journalism. I love her mutterings as much as her questions, you know. <laughs> um, he wondered uh, if the reason behind the raid at Mar-a-Lago was because uh, they thought your deleted emails might be there. Yeah, he actually did say that, He did he? say that, I know. Well, um, I mean, we're now into the real weeds. I mean, first it was... Well, first, do you think your emails are there? Me. You know, who knows? Okay, all right. Who knows? Just Either, asking. You know, they're the Kremlin, That's I don't know. That's called a follow-up in journalism. Go no, ahead. look, I think, I, I think that um, he's gone from nothing was there, yeah. the FBI planted it, even if stuff was there, I had a right to have it there, and now this latest claim, I declassified it in my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, I did put out a tweet last week because people were calling and asking me, you know, to respond. And I said, well, I, I, you know, I'm sick about talking about my emails, but I do think it's important to remember at the end of the day, after 
two parts of an FBI investigation, two separate State Department investigations, one under Tillerson and one under Pompeo, so the Trump years, they did not find one piece of paper of any kind marked classified, zero. And so, you know, I don't know what to make of what he did. I find it deeply disturbing and troubling that he would leave the White House with stuff marked top secret. And now, according to reporting, one of them may have been about the nuclear posture of an ally or, quote, an adversary. Mm -hmm. That's scary stuff to me. So I know it's kind of weird because he's trying to deflect and make all other sorts of claims, but the bottom line is, what the heck was he doing with that material? Mm -hmm. That I remember, Cara, when I was Secretary of State, sometimes things would be so sensitive that literally a courier from the CIA or the DOD would come with a metallic briefcase handcuffed to his wrist Mm -hmm. containing a document that I had to look at immediately. There wasn't time to call a meeting uh, and they would, you know, come to my office in the State Department and they would unlock it, not take the handcuff off, just unlock the uh, suitcase, take out the document, I would read it, I would sign that I'd read it, I would give it back, and off they would go. So some of this stuff is really sensitive. You know, it's about people who risk their lives to give us information about what's going on, Mm -hmm. pictures that they take. I don't know what he's doing with it, but I can't help but believe that he thought there was some financial or political gain to him having it. All right. So the last time we spoke, you told me the letter that FBI Director James Comey sent in October 2016 played a role in the three states you lost. Do you think the FBI or Merrick Garland has information that they need to act well before the 2024 presidential primaries to avoid looking as if they put their... You, you've been subject yeah. to this. this is oh, something yeah. You, Look, that, that is a, a sore <laughs> subject, um, yeah. as you might guess. Um, but I think what the circuit courts ordered in response to the district court judge who either doesn't know the law or doesn't care to know the law and is doing everything she can to help Trump, what the 11th Circuit basically said was, wait a minute, of course the FBI can look at this material that is marked classified that they took from his estate, uh, his country club, uh, and they're conducting a counterintelligence examination of those materials as well as a potential criminal investigation. So I think that that will continue. The rule or the unwritten rule was you don't say something that could upend an election. And it was ironic to me that they came out with that bogus thing about finding more emails and then 10 days later say, sorry, we were wrong. They never said, oh, you know, we are concerned about Trump's Russian connections and we're looking into that. You never heard that because the Republicans led by... So in this case, which you think you've suffered from, should they be very careful to do that? They should be very careful unless it's some kind of an emergency. And it wasn't an emergency for me, uh, but they did it anyway for their own reasons. In this case, I don't know what's in those documents, but if they can get beyond the 2022 midterm, then they're free to pursue whatever leads they might have. So using political calculations, you do not recommend, yet they might have to do it in the middle of a political 
I think that they will have plenty of time before the 2024 primary start. So I know you don't like to speak of the emails, but you also are selling hats that say about the emails. Actually, we raised a lot of money for um, Democratic candidates and Democratic uh, groups working to elect Democratic candidates. So it did quite well. (laughs) So... um, So lemons to lemonade, I guess, but it did call attention to it. Let me go through Republicans. They keep using that, comparing your emails to Trump's, trying to equalize them. I'm going to give you the strongest Republican argument, and I'd love you to respond. You did keep these emails on a private server while uh, Secretary of State, and there were classified information on seven chains. Anyone would know that an unsecured server was not the place to correspond about such things. First of all, never did I correspond about Uh, classified material, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, unlike servers in the State Department and elsewhere, the server we had, which was also my husband's post-presidential server, was never hacked. And believe me, if it had been, you would have heard about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. The argument that goes that even though Comey didn't find wrongdoing because he didn't see willfulness in the treatment of those emails, it's still a security issue. It never, it wasn't. I mean, the thing that I think proves it more than anything is, so after Comey upends the election with his intervention that amounted to nothing, Trump gets elected, he installs Tillerson as a Secretary of State, Tillerson launches another investigation into, quote, my emails, and could find nothing. Two years later, Pompeo, under pressure, I am sure, from Trump, launches yet another investigation, finding nothing. So believe me, if I had had classified material on that server, that device that I carried, my uh, old BlackBerry and phone, they would have uh, found, found it, it, and they didn't. Okay. And, and they basically you know, gave us uh, letters which says there were no violations, except you shouldn't have used a server, which I say in response, no, boy, I mean, if I were Secretary of State again, I wouldn't use an, another server. I would use the unsecure often hacked into State Department servers. That's what I would do. (laughs) Okay. One of the newest ones, you have said they didn't contain classified information, that there is some included classified information, even if they weren't marked as classified. That is the biggest bunch of baloney. I mean, you know, this was the retroactive classification argument, which, which made no sense to anybody. And again, that's part of what Tillerson and Pompeo were looking for and did not find. I've answered these questions a million times. Mm -hmm. I have testified for 11 hours. I would love to see Donald Trump testify for 30 minutes in public about any of this. Fair point. To the heart of that, this is the last question on that. This is my last one. David French argued that if you treat emails like this, regular people would be prosecuted. Talk about security and the handling of secure information by all politicians. Is it, you just mentioned the State Department, is it too sloppy? That, that, is there too much of a sieve going on here? You know, I don't know how you compare anything to what was found at Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know how you compare it. I mean, mm-hmm. do people make mistakes? Do they overlook something? Of course, that's human nature. But I don't know how you load documents that have on their cover big red lines and big top secret stamped on them, and they end up stored in the storage room under the pool of your country club. And we already know that Mar-a-Lago has been penetrated 
We already know of the you know, Chinese-American or Chinese national uh, woman who was found to be a security risk. We already know that. So what was he doing with that stuff? What he did was clearly intentional. Whether it broke a law, that's for others to decide. When people make a mistake or, or whatever passes for trying to comply but you misstep on something, that's one thing. And that's why people don't get prosecuted when something like that happens. Uh, but when you are intentionally taking material and we don't know what he did with it, and remember that we now know there are empty folders, what was inside those folders? I mean, that's a totally different set of uh, uh, circumstances have to be investigated. And I know Marco Rubio said, oh, it's just a storage issue. Listen, Marco Rubio chaired the Intelligence Committee in the Senate, co-chaired by Mark Warner from Virginia, who conducted an extensive investigation about Russian interference in the 2016 election and came to a bipartisan conclusion that Russia had interfered. And I know from having been in the Senate for eight years that the material they were looking at was carefully handled in secure rooms that you would go into leaving your phone, leaving your laptop, whatever you had, when you walked into that room, you were going in to sit at a table to read those documents. Marco Rubio knows better than what he said. So the idea of being above the law, if politicians do this, should there be more stringent rules and prosecutions around this, even if careless? The rules should be the same for everybody. You know, nobody should be above it and nobody should be, you know, the target of it unfairly or wrongly. So I just want everybody held to the same standard. And that's what the rule of law to me means. You are equal before the law and that's how we should conduct ourselves. Okay. And you think that's going to be the case here with Donald Trump? Well, I hope so because I don't think anybody's above the law. Okay. Let's talk about the midterms. Before the presidential elections, we have these midterms. Um, do you think the GOP is more motivated... Um, by the narrative around the vast conspiracy, the vast left-wing conspiracy? What would you call it? I don't know. Or the Dems are more motivated with abortion and other things. What do you... Well, I think it depends upon where you are. Mm -hmm. But we've got three examples. We had a New York special election. We had the mm -hmm. Kansas referendum. And we have the Alaska special election. Mm -hmm. And the evidence is, number one, that the pro-choice candidates and the pro-choice position in Kansas won. Secondly... We know that registration is going up dramatically among Democrats and women and young people. Mm -hmm. And that suggests to me that there is motivation on that side. I assume that Republicans are also being motivated by whatever they're being told on social media or from you know, people they listen to. So that's why this midterm is so critically important, because it all comes down, and this sounds simplistic, but it's totally true, it all comes down to who turns out. I personally believe that we have a chance not only to hold the Senate, but add one or two senators, but it depends upon who turns out. Mm -hmm. And I also believe that we could hold the House if Americans knew several things. Number one, the Republicans are now on record of wanting to put Social Security and Medicare up for a periodic vote 
Can you imagine letting these people vote as to whether you get Social Security or you're eligible for Medicare? Number two, that if they get the majority, they will pass a national ban on abortion. And number three, that there is a lot to be worried about when it comes to protecting our democracy. And part of the way you help protect our democracy is to you know, keep the Senate and the House under Democratic leadership and try to give us a few more votes in the Senate so we can try to prevent uh, what some in the states are planning to do, which is to, you know, essentially declare victory no matter what the vote is. So what do you think the motivators are? Some people think it's inflation, some people think it's abortion. If you, from your sort of political sense, um, what do you think has more motivation of the many topics? There would be inflation in the economy, there'd be abortion, there'd be Trump, who's inserting himself in the process now, which to the chagrin, I think, of many Republicans. Uh, look, what do you I, think is the most important? One? Well, I, I think, again, it depends upon where you are. Clearly, the governor of this state and the governor of Florida are doing everything they can to turn the attention to immigration. Mm-hmm. And... That is a motivator for a lot of people in the Republican Party or people, you know, who might consider themselves independent. Um, And that's what they're trying to do. Forget abortion. uh, Forget all the other things that we're doing. Don't look over here where we're trying to, you know, prevent people from voting and doing all the other stuff. Look at immigration. Do you acknowledge it's effective, though? What did you think of the Martha's Vineyard stunt? You know, honestly... Because of the way Martha's Vineyard people responded, I think it blunted the stunt. Mm-hmm. I mean, if people had been hysterical because, you know, mostly it was Venezuelans, as I understand it, had shown up um, on their uh, island, well, what did they do? They opened their churches. They, got, they let school out so the AP Spanish students could come and translate. They began to provide them food. And they did what we like Americans to do. And then I think the Republican governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, did a great job in working with the federal government to have them move to a military base on Cape Cod where they could be processed. So the stunt was kind of like, huh, not so smart. And it used to be, I mean, this sounds very nostalgic, but it used to be that we could actually find bipartisan solutions. And like I say... Governors like Abbott or DeSantis, they're, you know, they're, I guess they both think they're going to run for president. And if I were them and Trump still wants to run, I'd be looking over my shoulder. Mm-hmm. Which I think Trump is not for these stunts, correct or not? I, I, I think he's going to run. They may not think he is. Yeah, no, that's correct. But I don't think he likes these stunts. He was not... He doesn't what? Like these stunts, these immigration stunts. I'm not sure he thinks they're very effective. Because he didn't do them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so... Um, so are you are you going to be have a role in the midterms? Are you a, do you get asked? Are you a, oh my God! I'm I'm already you know I run a group called Onward Together mm-hmm. and we raise money like the hat that you referred to. We uh, sell in our little merchandise uh, uh, store and we put the money into groups that are recruiting, training, supporting candidates and. Do you uh, show up physically? Because you are a lightning rod still to this day. Oh come on! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Really? I, I literally had a family member saying, saying she is the most worst thing ever to happen to the world. And I was like, I have a list that's a little longer. Yeah. That yeah. She's- well, yeah, I know there are people who... Um, Do you may, think about that? May not, I may not be on their Christmas card list. I understand right. that. 
But that's not who I'm trying to attract. Right. I'm trying to motivate Democrats to turn out and vote for Democrats. Right. And I'm trying right. to motivate... So in that vein, I'm, I'm trying to motivate women to stand up and fight for their rights by voting for Democrats. <laughs> okay. Well done. Well, in other words, you don't give a fuck. If, <laughs> well, if you, if you put it that way. Yeah, okay. Support for On With Kara Swisher comes from NerdWallet. You don't have to be a genius to start making better financial decisions today. It's not that sexy, but piling up lots of little monetary victories today can yield some pretty significant rewards down the line. The tricky part is knowing where to start. NerdWallet can help. Their financial experts have helped countless people find new ways to maximize every dollar they earn. Now the team is helping folks get more from every dollar they spend. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credits side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering up to 10 times the points on every dollar you charge. Their expert team of nerds did the work reviewing top credit cards so you can trust that you have the smartest one for future you. If I had better rewards right now, I would probably travel to Hawaii and be sitting on a beach and not talking into this microphone right now. I would be enjoying a Mai Tai, possibly swimming, doubtful I would be surfing, but I would spend them all there. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Uh, This summer, Biden had a streak of wins, the Inflation Reduction Act, student debt relief, renewed focus on DACA and gun control. Are are you impressed by Dark Brandon? I have been supporting uh, him ever since he won the nomination. And I will tell you that, you know, I know a little bit about how hard it is to get anything done. And his legislative record is pretty impressive when you go through what he got accomplished. And I'm particularly focused on uh, the infrastructure bill. I did love the fact that apparently the White House has finally hired somebody who knows how to mix it up on social media. Yeah. And I was thrilled that whoever this new person is went after Ted Cruz for taking credit for a project in the infrastructure bill that he did not vote for. And we need more of that, more of that. So, 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 go ahead, go ahead. And so, and so I also want to say the CHIPS bill is huge. It'll be good for Austin because you guys are a tech center and there may be, you know, some benefits for that. And the Inflation Reduction Act, what it's going to do on climate, on health care. This is, as he would say, a BFD, Okay. So, do you... Do you, this aggressive stance on extremism, you think this will pay off? Now, you said deplorables many years ago. He essentially said deplorable, fascist, semi, se, I don't know what a semi-fascist yeah, is. but he's a man and I'm a woman. Okay, all right. Um, he did tout relationships during the campaign. Do you think the aggressive stance works better, as you said, or trying to find comedy between the two parties. I think you're seeing not only Biden, but others who are kind of unshackled. And remember, here's what we're trying to do. In midterms, and we have two very sad examples. 
After my husband's first two years and, you know, raised taxes on the rich, balanced the budget, took on the NRA, got the Brady Bill, banned assault weapons, on and on, you know, the Democrats got killed in the midterm. Mm -hmm. After the first two years of Barack Obama, the Affordable Care Act, saving the economy from collapse, everything that happened started to lose the Congress in 2010. So who is it that doesn't show up for us? It's Democrats who don't think Democratic presidents have done enough for them or don't understand what has been done or who feel like, oh, I don't need to show up because that worked, you know, I voted for so-and-so for president. So I think the more aggressive, fiery tone that you're seeing from Biden is exactly aimed at trying to motivate Democrats to, to come out and vote and mm -hmm. save what's been done and try to get even more accomplished. Uh, I've got a few more questions about international, but you were Secretary of State, you've seen failed democracies. Are you worried America's becoming one? Look, I think that if Trump and his enablers had their way, that's what would happen to us. Admiring Viktor Orban in Hungary? cozying up to Putin and being embarrassed when he invaded Ukraine that you couldn't keep cozying up to him, you know, that is a repudiation of our values and of the kind of democratic principles that I think we used to believe everybody essentially took for granted, right? So yeah, I do worry about the undermining of the rule of law. I worry about the tinkering and the efforts to make sure the Electoral College, no matter what the popular vote is, never goes against the Republican candidate. I worry about the, and it's no longer just the whiff of violence, but the appeals to violence that we saw on January 6th, but have seen and heard since then. I do, I worry about it a lot. You know, I remember as a young student, you know, trying to figure out how did people get basically drawn in by Hitler. How did that happen? And I'd watch newsreels and I'd see this guy standing up there ranting and raving and people shouting and raising their arms. I thought, what's happened to these people? Why did they believe that? You saw the rally in Ohio the other night. Trump is there ranting and raving for uh, more than an hour and you have these rows of young men with their arms raised. I thought, what is going on? So there is a uh, real pressure, and I think, I think it is fair to say we're in a struggle between democracy and autocracy. I believe one of the reasons that Putin decided, what the heck, I'm gonna go invade Ukraine, I can take them over you know, in three or four days, is because he assumed if Trump had been reelected, Trump would have pulled us out of NATO. And then Trump didn't end up back in the White House. And so Putin's saying, well, I can't wait. I'm not going to wait around. I'm going to do it because I am, I was just gonna ask about I am the, you know, the Russian emperor. So I do think that the threats to democracy are real. And the only way to defeat them is showing up and voting. And you know, when I say that, people go, well, what else can I do? Well, there are a lot of other things you can do. But if you don't do that, yeah. you're seeding the so ground. Putin, you brought him up. Where, what is his end game? You're Secretary of State. What? What do you imagine is going to happen now? He's well, got he, protests in the country. Yeah, we do. It, look. His country. He has always believed that the collapse of the Soviet Union, as he said himself, was one of the great catastrophes in human history. 
And he wants to reconstitute as much of the Russian empire as he can get away with. And I remember when I was Secretary of State, and I'd be warning about this, a lot of people were again saying to me, oh, come on, you know, it's the 21st century, that's not gonna happen. I say, look at what he's doing. He's undermining democracies, he's buying media that is going to then feed propaganda to people, including RT in our own country. And I said, what do you think he's doing all this for? He wants to undermine democracy, both from within and without. And so Ukraine has been a particular sore point for him. He you know, went in in 2014, seized Crimea, went into the Donbass. He uh, consolidated his hold on that. Nobody stood up to him. Everybody was like, oh my God, well, you know, that'll satisfy him. It sounded a lot like appeasement to me. But nevertheless, that's what happened. And he wasn't satisfied. So and what look, happened? He, he cannot run a modern country. You know, we tried, Obama and I tried, to persuade Medvedev when for that short period of time Medvedev was president because Putin was busy being prime minister doing something else and he let Medvedev, you know, be the front guy. And we tried to convince him, look, you have all these Russian emigres leaving Russia to go work in the tech industry. You guys could have like the, you know, Silicon Valley of Moscow. You could really make a modern economy. You're right now a commodity economy. That's really it. And what happened, I mean, Medvedev got kind of excited and, you know, he loved hanging out with Obama. It made him feel cool. And he thought, wow, that might be a great idea. And then all of a sudden Putin says, are you nuts? You know, you you have to have too much freedom for that. You can't let people invent, innovate, think for themselves. Are you crazy? We're going to keep drilling, and that's all they have. So what does he do now? What happens? I'm afraid he, uh, for the foreseeable future, doubles down with additional bombardment of civilian uh, sites. He clearly has this idea that he can somehow persuade his people and whoever else he can convince in the outer world that now that he's had these sham referenda in the areas that they have taken over, and of course the vote is 90%, we want to be part of Mother Russia, that then when the Ukrainians launch an offensive against those areas, he's going to claim it's an attack on Russia. And Zelensky is absolutely right. This is an attack on freedom, on democracy, on truth. This is an attack that has ripple effects for all of us. And one of the things that Biden has done remarkably, along with his team, is to unify uh, Europe, the U.S., and Canada, and other countries like Japan in a sanctions regime and providing military support. We're going to have to keep it up because I think the Ukrainians, what they've proved in the last few weeks about taking territory right. back is really important. Could you comment on, uh, we're seeing the biggest anti-government protests in Iran in years. There was the Green Movement in, when you were Secretary of State. The current protests um, have met with a crackdown. All this is happening as the U.S. and Iran are trying to negotiate a nuclear deal. The protests were sparked by the death of a 22-year-old woman held in police custody for moral issues. Yes. Is there real possibility for regime change in Iran right now? Well, I think it would be very difficult, but it's possible. And, you know, you mentioned the Green Revolution when I was Secretary of State and uh, Facebook was supposed to go down for some kind of maintenance in some of their um, their territories, uh, and one of them was Iran, and we convinced them to stay online so that people could communicate. 
eventually it was suppressed, and right now there is a heavy um, suppression effort. But the reason she was arrested is because too much of her hair was showing. And the women who are ripping off their hijabs, who are burning them, who are cutting off their hair, it appears that this is a much deeper reaction than even we saw in the Green Revolution. Now, the Iranians are fanatics and they are brutal and they will do everything they can to suppress this. So it depends, I guess I would say, on how many people stand their ground and are out in the streets and are protesting and how many people in some positions of influence they're able to persuade uh, to be supportive. I mean, I tweeted about it yesterday. I'm just furious about this repression because think about it. It is largely aimed at controlling women and women's lives. All right. In that vein, I'd be remiss since we're not talking about Liz Cheney. Obviously, I wouldn't imagine you see eye to eye on policy on almost anything, correct? Well, we don't agree on policies, but we sure agree on democracy. That's true. So, um, but she herself has no party now. Many people feel like... um, She's become the face of the Trump resistance, or for lack of a better term. She's a staunch conservative who, by one count, voted with Trump nine out of ten times when he was office. What advice do you have for Liz Cheney? Oh, I, I would not. Uh, I would not venture to give her advice. Look, I, she's a troublesome. What did he? What did Trump call you? A troublesome woman, an annoying woman. Oh, he's called me so many things. I can't keep track of them all. Um, yeah. Thankfully, I don't pay much attention to him. Um, I think she has performed a great service to history, to truth, to our democracy, to the rule of law, and I hope, look, I hope before her term expires that she and the committee keep providing us with this devastating evidence about what happened when and who knew what and everything connected to it. I have no idea what her political or public future might be, but if she were to retire, you know, at the end of her term, she would have already done a great service uh, to our what country. What would you do if you were her? Oh, I would keep speaking out and, and standing up and being a truth teller because, you know, that's her reputation and the people who admire her will keep admiring her for it and the people who are scared of her and, and fearful because she is telling the truth will keep trying to undermine her. And you know, look, I've been in that position. I understand that it's not easy to do, but it's very important that people, you know, not fold up and and just walk away or give up in the face of this concerted attack on our democracy. And I have no reason to believe she will. Okay. All right. So speaking of that, would you run again? No. No. Not for president. Not for president and really not for anything that I can think of. Would you like to serve again in some capacity? Oh, you know, I, I don't know. I haven't thought about that because it's just not something that I see is likely to happen. Let me ask you a final question. As you know, I have a lot of children. My first daughter, she's three years old. I got on Twitter, someone was like, liberals. I mean, I'm from San Francisco. I'm clearly a liberal. But um, don't believe in the future. Or Democrats don't believe in the future. And I said, I have four children. I believe in the future. Do you believe in the future? Absolutely. But I believe it's what we are going to make it. You know, the future is going to happen whether we do anything or not. So let's take responsibility to try to shape it for your kids and my grandkids. And, you know, I am 
done with the doomsayers and the hand ringers. Forget all of that. Get up and do something for our democracy to fight climate change, to provide health care, whatever it is, get up and do it. Hillary Clinton. All right, Kara, that was a that was a wide ranging interview. She she yeah. does seem political at times, like how she's rou- yeah. rousing the crowd yeah. around her. She likes it. She likes it. She's a ham, yeah. just like you. You guys talked about a lot of things, but afterwards, Fox News, Newsweek, and others who had kind of paid attention to the live event in Austin all glommed on to one thing, which is the comparison she was making between the Trump rally in Ohio and Nazi rallies. Yeah. Um, why, why do you think that's the thing they stuck on to? It's interesting. I look, lots of people have said this. It wasn't a, a new fresh take on, on this thing when everyone no. saw those pictures. Hundreds of people were like, whoa, that looks kind of familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, they do it a lot at these rallies. And Trump is trying to tamp down on it, actually. Trump, they send around security people. They don't want people to do that because they understand the visuals. Um, and so uh, I think I don't think it was a very fresh thing. It just was a way to make to make news, I guess. Why do you think they didn't talk about the emails? Because you did ask her a bunch of questions about emails. Not everyone, but uh, you did ask her a lot of them. And why do you think they didn't kind of capture onto that? Well, because it's it's hard to, you know, it's it, 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 they're trying to link them together and it's quite hard because they are quite different. Mm-hmm. And so it's that it's too complex to explain. And yeah, and she was very technical. She like Hillary she was. was very technically She's accurate in most parts of things. Like none of the emails in the review by Comey were marked as mm-hmm. classified, but she did have emails that were confidential, the lowest level of classification. They just weren't mm-hmm. marked as such. And so they weren't marked. They weren't marked like, as I, such. I, so it doesn't matter. And I th- she had the one point she made mm-hmm. that I think was clear. There were three investigations. She cooperated with them. She didn't do this, what Trump is doing. Um, and they were two of them were done by Rex Tillerson and um, and Mike Pompeo. Yeah, Mike so, Pompeo. So Trumpy. They, they weren't able to get her. Yeah. You know, and while she said she didn't correspond about classified material, I think her point was that she didn't know it was classified at the time. It wasn't marked as such. Yeah. And, you know, she's, she, she does get into the technicalities, but that's where things live. One question you didn't ask her about that we wanted and wanted you to ask her about 33,000 emails deleted from the server. We'll never know. We'll never no. know. We'll have to take her word for it that they were personal. I would agree. I think that's a, a sore point. And even though um, Donald Trump makes political hay out of it, it's certainly what I thought it does point to is how sloppy our man- document management is yeah. uh, in our government, too. Uh, and, and you don't expect someone to do something as egregious as Donald Trump has done. But this isn't good either. This yeah. Isn't good. Look, I do think the Clintons have a kind of dynastic and above the lawness about them. And you and I disagree about this. We were chatting about it. Um mm-hmm. But I think that they are. They think of themselves as above the law. Um, I I think it's a it's a level of difference. You know, if you I, I think your point is that they're garden variety corruption, which you can say about almost any politician. I well, think. you can't say it about Obama. I don't think. Well, I okay. And I don't think right. the Bushes were. Oh come on, come on with the Defense Department stuff. No. Well, George the first. 41. But Trump has taken it to a new level, and I hope it's a level that will go away. Yeah, well, I hope um, it's I a do- level that will. I think Trump should be held accountable. I also think it's important to hold that same standard no matter who's in office, because I am I am concerned yeah. that I grew up in Pakistan and Indonesia. I've seen a lot of these, you know, these uh, dynastic 
families from the Bhuttos to Sahartos and, you know, others or people who rule for a long time or believe themselves above the law. And I've always thought yeah. that what separates the United States is the laws and institutions. And those are eroding sure. very, very quickly, faster under Trump than ever before. But, you know, th- that yeah, started I think before. they were eroding behind the scenes. I think there's all kinds of stuff going on behind the scenes that we don't see. And this idea of American exceptionalism certainly is a very attractive thing. But I think there's all kinds of stuff going on yeah. behind the scenes that are have always been corrupt. Every, you know, you go back in history and it's... Anyway, I agree. Yeah. I agree that she is not above the law. Trump is not above the law. We should be able to get... Uh, to get uh, satisfaction from a justice point of view from anybody who serves. Well, next time you see her, which will probably be next year at the going rate, you got to ask her about the 33,000 deleted email. I shall. I shall. Okay. So I was surprised she didn't give um, any advice to Liz Cheney, by the way, maybe behind closed doors. She was very supportive. She was very supportive. Yeah. 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 Um, But Kara, speaking of advice, um, Mm -hmm. today we have some for you that's solicited from a listener. So let's play a clip. Hey, Kara, it's Michelle in San Antonio, Texas. As you approach a milestone birthday, what would you tell your younger self? So excited you have a new podcast. Gives me one more reason to love you. And also Scott, I guess. Thanks. (laughs) You can love me now, Michelle, from San Antonio. Oh, yes. Love Naima. I'm bringing in new characters to the show. Um, New characters. That's how you keep it fresh. Um, Look, here's what I tell my younger self. Be even more like the way you are. Like, be, like, I hate to use a Sheryl Sandberg phrase, but lean the fuck in further. Kara, I was, oh, I God. Was, <laughs> I was pretty sassy back then, and I would do even more so. I didn't have a lot of self-doubt. I'll be, I mean, I know it sounds, people are like, yes, you did. I'm like, no, I, I really didn't. I did a lot of stuff, mm. but I think I would be even more. Just don't worry so much. Don't don't feel like you're on achievement wheel. And do what you want. Um, I have choices. And I always think that if you have choices, you you should not make excuses for not doing what you want. Mm. So many people don't have choices across the world in this country. Um, and uh, I would speak even more truth to power. I think I did. Um, but I think I would have done more so, uh, spoken up a lot more. And, of course, I would have bought uh, Apple stock <laughs> with the money I used for Columbia University. Yeah, it getting greedier with age. I would have. I would have gone Taking back. Taking that I'm Google like, job. Remember, do you remember in Back to the Future where we went back and got the sports book mm-hmm. and then Biff got it and then this and that? I loved all those movies. I love time travel <laughs> movies. I would have gone back and said, invest in Apple right now. Ah. That, that is, I think, the best payoff and stuff like that. Is anything- taken that money and then I would have. Put it into Apple. That's what I mean. Ah, I like this. Yeah. I like this. As, you yeah. know, and then I wouldn't be here. I'd be on an island, you know. Um, Kara, what's your milestone birthday? Do you want to tell the people? 60. I turned 60 in, in December. December. We're going to party. Yeah, I'm not. Af- I'm also not afraid of saying how old I am. No, I know. Old and, I know. Yeah, yeah. So I would, I would, I would, I would say more. Have more children. Oh, God, be more Kara. aggressive. You're like I the Chinese start, Communist Party. Again. You're always touting for people <laughs> to have more children. That's your advice. All right. Well, nonetheless, I would have more. Yeah. More. All right. Yeah. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you for tuning in. We're going to try to provide you with a great podcast. We love our listeners. Yes, we love them. Want some Kara advice? You can call 1 Kara, please. That's 1 888 K A R A P L Z. Today's show was produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Christian Castro-Rossell, and Rafaela Seward. 
Rick Kwan, engineered this episode. Our theme music is by Trackademics. Special thanks to the team at the Texas Tribune Festival and especially Evan Smith. I love if Evan If you're following Smith. the show, love Evan Smith. If you're already following the show, you get a gold star. If not, what are you waiting for? Go wherever you get your podcast. Look for On with Kara Swisher and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. And of course, me. Us. I mean, us. 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 Kara, I'm us. sorry. It's so uh, hard. I'm still here. There is no me in team. Yes, there is. <laughs> and we'll be back on Monday for more. <laughs>